Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. And as you know, we've been running through something of a mini-series at the moment and uh, one that answers the question, I have X thousand pounds to invest in property, what should I do? And today we're going to consider the the answer to that question where X is greater than £250,000. It might even be a seven-digit number. And uh, if that may make it sound like it's going to be easy or as straightforward as have money, make make money, it's not necessarily the case. Um, there's always some trade-offs and pitfalls and danger zones that uh, we might need to face in such a regard. But uh, even if you don't have that sort of cash lying around, it might be something to listen to and aspire to or even you know to try and translate in some other way or, or think of things maybe how other people might be thinking of things. So uh, let's not waste any further time. Let's get straight on with the show. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. I'm constantly hearing from people looking to make a start or even a change of direction uh, using property or in property. And some of these people have some money behind them already. Many do not. But occasionally I hear from people that have rather a lot of money available to invest in property that have acquired this in a different way. No, no, I'm not talking about cash in suitcases and dirty, dirty linen to clean and that sort of thing. I, I won't have any of that kind of thing around here, I can tell you. No, often people with a, a reasonable you know, sum of money available and seeking information on how best to invest it, acquired such significant sums in a variety of very legitimate ways, I have to say. Uh, they might include things like an inheritance, um, a trust or a gift of some description. It could be a business sale or profits indeed from a business. Disposal of valuable assets such as other property, um, shares, or if you're lucky enough, a a rare painting found from a grandmaster in the attic. But it could be bonuses and share options from employment, particularly if you're in a high paid employment environment or potentially an expat or something like this. It could be from diligent saving and investment in other areas over over a long period of time and so on. Many people have seen and indeed heard of uh, the potential to earn reasonable sums of money from an asset that many people at least understand a little bit, property. We all, we all do have to live somewhere and so we are very familiar with the property uh, idea as an asset as opposed to say a commodity derivative, currency trading and uh, spread betting is what I was about to say, or the vagaries of large company accounting practices such as Enron or BHS more lately. So, um, you know, property is something we can can touch and feel, we understand it. Um, So I think it attracts a lot of people for that reason alone. But there's some very other good reasons as well why property might be appealing as an asset class such as land being a scarce resource, the ability to leverage up our purchasing power, the opportunity to enjoy both capital gains and income growth, and of course the long-term benefits of compound growth, among a few other ones. 
So it makes it makes sense at least to consider property investing if we have a significant amount of funds available to invest. As to whether we should put all, all of it on black and invest the lot in property, I'm not so certain that would be the best thing to do. Which may come as a surprise to hear on a property podcast from a property investor. <laughs> Personally speaking, not all of my investments are exclusively in property. I have some money invested in other assets as well as part of a diversified approach to investment. However, rather than getting into the realms of financial advice, I won't do that and instead suggest that a conversation with an experienced wealth manager or um, IFA, uh, independent financial advisor, could be a useful thing to do as well here. So with the financial advice, wealth warning out of the way and assuming I've not instantly talked you out of investing into property now, what could we hope to do with a chunky amount of change of the order of 250, 500,000, a million pounds or more? I'm going to start by saying exactly what I've said to people with lesser sums of money available to them because it makes no difference. Start with knowing what you want to achieve, which is the why and the what, before deciding on any strategy, which of course is the how. And of course, I've said this a few times now over the last few weeks, you might be getting a little bit fed up of hearing it, but I'm, I'm going to keep saying it nonetheless, because it is that important. Knowing what we want and when we want it is crucial to understand before we do anything else. And we should therefore start with our goals and purpose before considering strategy a little bit later on. Okay, so having put you off with the threat of speaking to a financial advisor of some description and even stashing at least part of your cash into other investment vehicles and asset classes, let's have a look at what we could potentially do in property with a starting fund of at least a quarter of a million pounds. Here are just eight potential strategy ideas to, to consider. And that the first one is the safe as houses, no debt income protection model. And it's one that will be familiar to people who've listened to this mini series because I have mentioned it before. And yes, this is buy one property or a collection of property using cash and enjoy the rental income at a gross annual return of around about five to 7% a year from a, a typical single let property. Every £250,000 invested in such an asset would generate around about £15,000 a year in gross income when buying a property with cash. So if you're looking for a steady income with a low risk profile, then this might be the perfect plan. As I said before, with a, with a, when I was talking about a modest size investment pot or reasonable size investment pot of around about £150,000, it applies similarly, particularly at the low end of the scale here of the around about the £250,000 mark. And you may not really care what happens uh, to house prices if this is the case and instead just rely on the income, which barring an Armageddon event is likely to be pretty reliable, I would suggest, over the long term. As a side note, in the event of Armageddon, we probably have bigger concerns like survival to worry about. So uh, yeah, it's um, it should be okay. Um, you know, not worry too much about a complete write down of assets, uh, asset valuations, unless we literally are facing Armageddon. But you know, we'd be running for the hills by then. So any capital growth on top of the income would probably be a bonus to enjoy one day, or possibly to leave behind as a legacy, or that sort of thing, pass on to somebody else that we care about or causes we care about. And if we select a, a good location with a low maintenance uh, property, it should be fairly worry-free to manage as well. It's almost set and forget. 
And this is a fairly secure way of protecting your, your capital position whilst enjoying a modest income from day one. I guess the only problem with this is when 15,000 income for every 250,000 pounds in your investment fund is simply not enough. After all, the average income in the UK is around double this, and this ignores a degree of lifestyle and, and luxury expenditure that many of us would welcome and, and of course appreciate. The second strategy that I wish to consider here is a, a slight variation really, it's the steady long-term debt repayment paydown model. And this is similar, again, to what I've outlined in, in a previous episode. Uh, it's a variation of the safe as houses model that we've just discussed, only this time we buy several properties with a repayment mortgage instead, and we just wait until they're repaid. Alternatively, we can throw all of the net rental profits at one property to pay down the debt more quickly and then pass it on to the next one and use the snowball effect that I talked about before. And this would allow us to leverage the value of our starting fund up, up to something like 200, sorry, from £250,000 to around about a million pounds um, to begin with if we were to do that. And then of course we can just enjoy the, uh, the rental income and the capital growth and a much larger size investment fund as a result. It's, it's a long-term strategy to fully realize the income, but ignoring inflation for a minute, once the mortgages are cleared, that initial £250,000 should generate the equivalent of around about £60,000 a year as a gross income by the time all the debt's been paid off, which sounds a little bit better than £15,000 a year, doesn't it? The more risk-averse, of course, can, can sleep easier by limiting the level of borrowing and leverage to a more comfortable level. In the example I gave, you know, 250,000 scaling up to a million is a factor of four. It's equivalent of a 75% loan-to-value mortgage. We don't have to go that far if you, if you perhaps feel that uh, the risk is a little bit too high there. And there might be some other reasons why you might not want to leverage up as well, not just uh, risk. Could be taxation, for example, just being one of them. The third strategy that I wanted to explain is the higher income property investment model. And this is a variation, if you like, on the safe, of house, safe as houses model. Only this time we buy properties that tend to lend themselves to higher income returns instead. In the first example, it was a single let property I was really driving out there with around about the average 6% return. That 6% is going to vary uh, depending on where it is in the country and that kind of thing. So in this example, we're really looking at uh, higher income strategies. Uh, and whilst it, uh, it comes with more management and often relies on understanding, understanding a different type of rental model, strategies such as HMOs, houses of multiple occupation that is, or multi-lets, serviced accommodation, which, uh, which might be a city let or that kind of thing, corporate lets, and indeed holiday lets uh, are, are just some examples of that type of model. As I mentioned, the top-line rental income is often potentially higher. However, the key success criteria in all of these higher income strategy models um, is the occupancy rate. And as such, it starts to change the model away from being a standard buy-to-let one into more of almost a hotel type of model. The further away we get from a long-term AST or a short, short hold tenancy that we might go. Different rules and regulations also come into play, as do other barriers to entry and indeed potential threats. So it's, it's just a case of, uh, sorry, it's not just a case of, of listing a property on Airbnb and, and just waiting to get rich. Now, there's still, uh, there's still something to learn and uh, some knowledge to acquire here, and I'll come back to that point a little bit later, perhaps in the wrap up. 
The fourth strategy really to consider is sweating the investment fund to grow income and or equity by deploying value adding strategies. And if you listen to the previous episodes in this mini series, you, you should now be familiar with this idea. In short, it is buy a property, add value to it in some way, such as by doing works or changing its use, then either sell it on or refinance it to release the profit. A variation is not to sell it, um, sell it on or refinance it, but to enjoy the increased rental income potential and leaving more equity in the property as well. And this is a repeatable model. Um, whilst also being a competitive one. <laughs> Lots of people are looking for these, in other words. So there we go, there's the uh, the first four, and some of those might sound a little bit familiar, I understand, so stick with it. There's gonna be a slight uh, variation, certainly in the second half of this list. But not so soon, because the fifth one is climbing up the property food chain. Yes, I did mention this before, but there's a twist now. There's a twist in this one. And um, if we can acquire bigger and more expensive properties, it potentially uh, means using leverage or, or, or a mortgage, then we can multiply our cash profits as well. The thing is, pro property is pretty expensive asset uh, to begin with, and so to really make this work, we'll, we'll need a serious amount of money to take us off into a different direction away from most of the other people who are out there. Because, um, you know, a lot of properties within reach with people using um, leverage, I'm not talking about high-end prime central London apartments here, but uh, a lot of property in the, in the country is, you know, within reach, let's say, of, the, of a lot of people, not necessarily the average person, of a lot of people. But, but with larger sums, uh, especially in the higher hundreds of thousands or even millions, consider, consider buying something like uh, small blocks of flats or mixed-use property or even a small, port, a small portfolio of existing properties you know, on a bulk scale. The economies of scale here may allow a discount on the purchase to be negotiated with uh, lower overall transaction costs as a result of combining the purchase into a single transaction doing the single due diligence and that kind of thing. So there's potential for concentration risk as well. So do keep that in mind and, uh, and keep an eye on that too. But you see what I mean, it's taking us into a different direction. You know, there's not many people who uh, would be competing to buy a portfolio or a small block of flats. So uh, it puts us in a slightly different buying position if we're fortunate enough to have the resources available to, to be able to look at such a transaction. And a lot of those transactions are not necessarily on market either. So we, we have to hunt them out. Um, they're not always advertised that well. That's the fifth one. The sixth one is the developer model. Now we did talk about a small developer model last time. So this is just scaling that idea up a little bit. And um, if we've got large sums of money to play with, um, we can look at larger projects. And uh, there's less competition in the sky when we fly with the eagles after all. Um, think about multi-unit developments or conversion plots and you get the general idea of what I'm driving at here. Developer margins are usually higher than standard buy to let and even uh, some of the higher income uh, strategies as well uh, and, and do up a type of, uh, you know, uh, refurbishment projects so but then again some of the risks are higher as well so the where that there's always a risk reward trade-off here don't get just 
too sucked in by uh, the high double digit uh, rewards that are on offer. There's sometimes, you know, a lot of uh, contingency costs that needs to be allowed for and there's other risks, things like getting planning permission, for example, um, have to be factored into the equation here. So research, research and even more research is called for here. Unless you are either experienced yourself, of course, or you're enlisting the support of others that are. The seventh strategy that I wanted to explain was sell some shovels. No, I haven't got off my rocker. <laughs> As the saying goes, in a gold rush, it is the people selling the shovels that get rich. What I mean here is that if every man and his dog are looking to become property investors and property developers, there will be a lot of people digging for gold, so to speak. So the proverbial shovel to a property investor and developer is usually money. By becoming a provider of funding for other property investors, we can often generate a very decent return on our funds invested without investing directly into property ourselves. We could invest into other um, investor projects in a variety of ways. It could be directly via a loan or a joint, a joint venture agreement, say, or indirectly via a crowdfunding platform or a pension, for example. Being at arm's length also means that we uh, will be one step removed, if I can mix my metaphors here a little bit. So once again, understand what and who you are planning to invest with, um, you know, with this, uh, with this type of investment. It's especially important here, I think, to understand where you would stand in, in terms of security, the security pecking order uh, as well. So let me illustrate. A first charge holder um, with a capped loan to value security is in a much better position to, let's say, the unsecured mezzanine debt finance provider, just to illustrate this point. There's obviously various degrees in between. So this security pecking order is also important. And that's part of the risk reward trade-off. Often the higher returns come with lesser security. So keep that in mind. But it's important here to highlight that we're in the realms of the high net worth or the sophisticated or the non-retail investor, as the terminology goes. And this means a, a lack of protection from the financial watchdogs, such as the FCA and the uh, FSA. In, in many cases. And this brings both with, uh, with it an opportunity, of course, allowing us access to uh, certain types of investment that wouldn't ordinarily be open to people without that kind of uh, money and, uh, and, and financial status. But equally, it brings with it a threat. So tread carefully out there. And the last strategy I wanted to share was the indirect property investment model. And I've touched on, on this a little bit just now, really, when I mentioned indirect ways of uh, backing an individual property investor. But here I'm talking about we, we could extend this thinking by being even more macro about, the, about this idea. Think about a real estate investment trust or REIT or a house builder or a property services company and you start to get the picture. A REIT, in theory at least, spreads their investment across a number of different property assets, whether that be in commercial, residential or both. The manager of the REIT is taking uh, the decisions as to where and how to deploy their investment funds and of course they make a charge for this activity. There are even funds that invest in other property companies to further broaden the investment pool. In both cases, much of the benefit of leverage can still be enjoyed as well, as many of these uh, investments will still use debt in the underlying investments as well. A house builder or another property developer is generating their profit by carefully acquiring land and building homes on it. 
Right now in the UK we have a shortage of housing and the government policy has become attractive to developers of new housing. This high demand, economic incentives and gradually reducing red tape makes for an attractive proposition in, in some cases. For example, I, I hold some shares in Persimmon Homes and have seen the share price rise quite dramatically actually recently. I'm not suggesting that you rush out and buy shares in this company, it's just that right now this sector appears to be attractive. However, a word of warning, um, it's just, um, just as in a rising property market, a house builder's shares you know, tend to do well, the opposite is also true in a declining one, so timing the market is also relevant here. Of course, we're, we're, we are one step removed by definition. Similarly to the house builders are other businesses related to property. This could include things, for example, like furniture and carpet retailers property listing businesses such as uh, Rightmove and Zoopla, or direct services, pr providers of direct services to landlords and homeowners such as estate agent businesses and letting agencies. Once again, be aware of the cycles that exist here and uh, I'm reminded of one, of one of Warren Buffett's most famous pieces of advice of only investing in what we understand. So um, yeah, it's, it's a good idea to, to try and understand what's going on in these businesses and, and what their, their business practices are, their accounting practices and all that sort of stuff. So again, there's a little bit of a knowledge curve here that uh, we need to climb. But fundamentally, there we go then. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's another list of uh, an eight, eight different property strategies that we could adopt if we were fortunate enough to have a starting investment fund of at least a quarter of a million pounds. Some of those um, I've mentioned will actually call for funds substantially uh, in excess of that, for example, buying a portfolio. I could possibly have mentioned a few more. Uh, although these could take us more into the direction of the sophisticated investor domain than perhaps is suitable for this particular discussion at this moment in time today. But having a larger sum of money to invest certainly does open up more types of opportunity. Of course, many of the strategies discussed when we considered having less money available could also be considered here as well. So it does provide more options to have uh, more money available for sure, because it opens a spectrum for a whole range of different strategies, the ones that the have you know, need us to have money and, and those that don't. But let's not forget that there are those main trade-offs in property, as I've been mentioning from uh, over the last couple of weeks. These are time, knowledge and money. So having more money may mean that we have a deficiency in one or um, or the other of one or other of the other two areas. Not an easy sentence to say. Perhaps the easiest one to fix in the context of today's show is a lack of time, as we can possibly outsource various tasks to other people. So it's really a lack of knowledge, which of course is uh, is is may also be common. But in this case, it's important to do uh, full research before leaping into that tempting Caribbean hotel development and other potentially high risk ventures, of course. And I, I guess I cannot complete today's show without bringing out a cautionary word of warning here. And and where where there is money, there is often someone looking to take advantage of people who have it, unfortunately. So watch out for the sharks and the charlatans out there. And don't be the proverbial fool oft parted with their money, will you? And don't forget to begin with your goals and purpose. Each of the eight or more different property strategies that I've outlined here would suit some people in some situations better than others. So it's really important. Can't stress it enough to know what we're aiming for to begin with.
But there we go then, we've completed our review of how to invest in property with different levels of starting investment funds. And today, of course, looking at having more than a quarter of a million pounds at our disposal. And I hope that was interesting, useful, or just downright motivating instead to build that uh, bigger cash pile, maybe to get involved in some of those more advanced uh, or slightly out of reach strategies potentially. So how about you? What options are you considering? Are there many more that I failed to mention or do you have a view on the viability of some of those that I have set out today? Uh, in fact, not only today, but over the last few weeks as well. It's been an interesting uh, exercise to go through the last few few weeks in this mini-series of what can I do with X thousand pounds in property. I'd be very interested to know what your reaction is, um, having now completed the whole, uh, whole set. So drop me a line, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. I'd love to hear from you. The show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Right now, though, I'd just like to say thank you very much for joining me once again on the show today. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.